church um, group. You'll see I just sent a little a PDF, just some notes of the verses that I'm going to be, because I don't want to refer to verses straight every time. So that's just something for you to, if, even if you want to um, yeah, just follow up later or, or check again. So I'll say that Galatians, I'm going to talk about Galatians today. Galatians has basically two uh, main points. The one is about the freedom of salvation, um, that we are saved just without, uh, not by our works. And the other point is then that Paul also treats is helping people know how to live devoted uh, lives to God. There's a lot in there, actually. It's not very celebrated. It's not very seen in the book, but there's a lot in there. And I hope to share on that at some other point, maybe. But today, I want to look about the freedom of salvation um, in Galatians. Um, I wanted to give that a little bit of preface just because I'm afraid I won't mention it, uh, forget to mention it later. But then again, also Michael Eater is probably right. He used to say that if we are preaching the gospel right, at least sometimes people should accuse us of making it too easy. Like it's antinomianism is the big theological word. You make it too easy, it can't be right. So, but I did want to say that there is, Galatians does talk about that, and I will get to that later. But today, uh, the, the sermon, if, uh, the title I'll give for today is Anger Agitators and the Truth of the Gospel in Galatians. Um, and that's sort of some of the themes I'm going to touch on. Galatians is Paul's, uh, probably Paul's most angry letter. Um, and he can get quite passionate about it, but, uh, you know, generally. But the thing about letters in the Greco-Roman period and in with uh, Paul as well you start a letter by some greeting, then you say something nice about the person, and then you get down to business. It's like, a, like the top half of a love sandwich almost, you know. Um, but, but, uh, and, and Paul always does it, even for the Corinthians. I mean, there's some guy sleeping with his stepmother. Uh, these people, when they have meetings, uh, Paul is like, you're doing more harm by coming together than what you're doing good. You know, it's almost, it doesn't work. Even with them, he starts as a piece on Thanksgiving. He says, I'm thankful about this, you know, that God is doing in you or whatever. But not with the Galatians. In verse 6, he gets right down to business. In verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly turning away from the gospel that I'm, uh, that I'm preaching you. He's absolutely angry from the first. Um, and also exhibiting somewhat, might even, some might feel is a little bit unchristian behavior in chapter 2 where he discredits or, or rather undermines James, Peter, and even Barnabas. And I'm going to look more uh, at, uh, at that in more detail. Uh, but the thing about Paul, he's not just being mean for the sake of it. He's doing it for the one reason, which is probably the only <laughs> valid reason why you can exhibit such behavior. And that is because the truth of the gospel was in danger. You're going to hear me repeat that thing, uh, that, that phrase regularly. So for those who are a bit more uh, thinking about in, in boxes, I'll just give a bit of a rundown what I'm going to do. I'm going to exegete, uh, I'm going to interpret for you two passages from chapter 2, and then first just looking at under the headings of faith, not works, and the agitators. Yeah, that'll make sense in a bit. The agitators, and then in an application section, I'm also going to look at how today, what about faith, not works? What does that mean for us? And also looking at a section on, on some agitators. So first of all, to begin with, we're going to just read 
Yeah, agitators will become clear. Well, let me just tell you, because if Carl is lost, then... These people who are making trouble in Galatians, in chapter 5, verse 12, he calls them agitators. That's why I call them agitators. These troublemakers that, that came to mess with the gospel, came to mess Paul's message up. Maybe it's good to say that up front. So I'll just read chapter... We're just going to read the first 16 verses. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running and had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us to slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And for those who seemed influential, for those who seemed influential, um, what, they, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows, no, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also in me, uh, through, in me through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, so that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now it gets interesting. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also put our faith in Christ Jesus, sorry, also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So to begin with, I'm going to look at uh, verses 14 to 16 
a passage, a sort of a piece I've named, Faith Not Works, the focus of Faith Not Works. And Paul says in chapter 14, uh, when, when after C, uh, Paul, Peter, Cephas is Peter, for those who are, didn't know, he saw, when I saw that their behavior was not in line with the gospel. Now all of them, Peter having the start, and he knew that Peter was the start of this. And Peter's offense was serious, that's why he was, uh, he was addressed in public, in front of everybody, because this, and, and the reason why this was so severe, there are two, from the, at least that we can see from the chapter. The one is, remember when he went up and he saw Peter and the other big wigs, and, and he said, this is what I do, and, and they said, verse 3, they did not force Peter, uh, Titus to be circumcised. They didn't treat Titus with alienation, they didn't treat him sort of, uh, yeah, just sort of distant and, and mean. And also the other thing, Peter and the others did not add anything extra to Paul, saying, Paul, okay, fine, this gospel, the freedom, whatever. What you need to do also is this and this and this. He didn't add anything. He said to Paul, you, uh, uh, we give you the right hand of fellowship, you go to the Gentiles. He didn't add anything in the small group. Now in the public group where these other Jews were that came from James, now he's like, oh, he sort of separates himself and, and saying that I don't want to mix with you. And that made Paul very upset. And, and it, of course, verse 12 and 13, you see, he also discredits James, saying these people that made, turned Peter came from James. And, he, and he's saying everybody who's associated with this thing where the Gentiles are alienated and treated strangely because they don't... Uh, uh, submit to this thing, which is not part of the truth of the gospel. It's not a gospel requirement for them. He, uh, and even Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, for those of you who know Barnabas from, from Acts, he's the, he's, the most, he's the most gentleman, biggest gentleman there is. I think it was Hans who referred to the time when Barnabas um, and Paul uh, went and, and Mark forsook them. Then uh, Barnabas wanted to give Mark another chance. He said, come on, let's give this guy another chance. Barnabas was a very gracious man. And now even Barnabas is being led astray to, the, to, to be a, hip, a hypocrite. Of course, he was a Jew as well. Distancing himself from the circumcision, from the Jews, uh, the Gentiles at Antioch. But I'll go on to verse 15 here. Um, I'll, I'll say one thing. Whenever you read Paul, you need to be pay careful attention when he says we or us. Who is he referring to? Okay. Is he referring to Jews? Is he referring to all Christians? Is he referring to him and his apostolic party? Maybe that's sometimes when he, when he means. So you need to ask that you understand it correctly. Here when he says we, it's obviously referring to the Jews. Later it's going to be different. I'll show. Uh, but he says we are not sinners like the Gentiles. It almost sounds to us uh, um, condescending in a way, but he knew that because the Jews did have the, did have the law, they were trying to... Um, now, there's two things here. Okay? The one is the being a, trying to earn salvation through the law. That's bad. But the law, if you read it, the Pentateuch, it was given as a gift to, for the, Israel to be separate from the Gentiles so that they don't live like the heathen nations, like the Canaanites who live around them and did whatever they want to. And Paul says, we are not like the Gentiles. We know that. But he goes on to, in verse 16, and, and verse 16, um, the, uh, th that we know, um, 
the, the, the participle there should be interpreted to say, because we know, because we know the believing Jews, because they know that salvation is not by the law, you can't be justified, they too put their faith in Christ so that they could get saved. And then in verse 17, he even goes on to show, which we don't have here, he's saying, uh, and, and this is the thing, that he's, he's talking to Peter now, and he's saying, we Jews, we, we don't have these, uh, we're not sinners like them, but we too put our faith. And then in verse 17, he goes on to make the point that in, uh, uh, after, um, what I want to say now, uh, um, that, that, that for them, if you put the law aside, then the, all, even the Jews, they are sinners just like, uh, just like the Gentiles because they can't attain salvation. They can't attain righteousness, justification in themselves. So I want to look at that uh, Paul's thing about faith uh, and not works. Next I will look at, at uh, the agitators. We're going to look at verse 1 to 5. Just going to read it so there's a bit of a, a refresher. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel I had proclaimed among the Gentiles. The, sorry, the gospel I proclaimed, the tense there is very important, proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, though he was with me, oh, sorry, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might uh, bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Back to verse 2, Paul wanted it to, to make clear that there was, he, he makes reference to a revelation. He wanted to make clear that there was a divine initiative for him going up to Jerusalem. And this was a very important thing. Um, now I'll say, I, I said earlier about him um, undermining uh, the, the apostles or the, the people in Jerusalem. Um, and I'll, I, I'll say something here. When I used to read Genesis, Galatians 2, goodness, my brain. When I used to read Galatians 2, I would get confused because I couldn't follow Paul. When in verse 2, he says, you know, I went up there and I put my gospel before them. Um, so, you know, in almost as if to check with them, I'm, do you think I'm right here? But then in verse 6, he gets to saying, uh, you know, before those who seemed influential, whatever they were doesn't matter to me. God doesn't show partiality. To those who seemed influential, I say, they didn't add anything to me. And I was confused. Like, are you, are you, are you now submitting or are you not submitting? Like, I'm confused now. But having read it very carefully, I realized that he was not submitting at all. <laughs> uh, if you see in chapter 1, verse 12, he goes, uh, he, he talks about the gospel he received that was not taught him, but he didn't receive it from man. It wasn't taught him. He got it through a revelation. And... 
the way that becomes clear is when we look in verse 2, the tense, like remember I said before, the tense of preach is very important because what's going on is really, he went to go talk to them saying, I'm explaining the gospel to the Gentiles this way. This is how the Gentiles are going to come into the kingdom of God. That's the message he was preaching. And now it's the same free grace. Paul uh, had to speak, to, had to explain it to the Gentiles, just like Peter explained it to the, to the Jews. And, and explaining to them, now we have the law. The law is a gift. We don't know how to do What do we do with the law? We, we can't trust in the law. What now? How does all this work? Paul, Peter and James was able to explain that. But Paul explained to the Gentiles. It's not a different gospel. It's the same thing. And when, when, uh, when Paul explained to them the way uh, they need to get into the gospel, and he went and he, he said to them, this is what I'm explaining, um, then the, that they gave them the right hand of fellowship. And when Paul says, I, lest I was running or had run in vain, uh, that was the work that he was doing then and had all the things he'd already achieved among the Gentiles. That's what he's referring to. Now, finally, what I, I want to say, what we get about, if you read verse 2, 6, and 9 together, the thing is that Paul understood that Jerusalem was the headquarters, okay? Those guys had authority. And these agitators that I refer to, they were Jews. And if they could say, look here, this is what Paul, uh, what Paul and Barnabas are doing. This is right. Then that would silence the, the agitators. Now, this is why, what's the point of this whole long, oh, goodness, my screen just went weird. Um, what, what's the point of this whole long history lesson is this, that if it wasn't for, sorry, I'm just trying to, my screen went strange. If it wasn't for the, this event that happened, the gospel could have been lost to the Gentiles. The true, real, free gospel. If Paul hadn't gone up to confront these guys, then it could have been lost to the Gentiles. I'll go on to verse 4 there. Um, in verse 4, Paul says, the NIV starts it with, this matter arose, and he's referring back to, chapter one, to verse 1. It's saying, why did I go up? And he talks about these false brothers, these agitators who did not care for the, did not care for the, uh, for the Galatians or for the Gentile churches. They went to go to sneak into understand what's the message being uh, taught there so that they could undermine it and uh, um, enslave them so they would not have the freedom of the gospel. Sorry, just a moment. So, um, let's get to the application here. On the point of faith not works, I'll, I'll tell a story. Carl made a brief reference to when I was younger. I'll tell you that um, when I, I met God on a, on a CSA uh, Christian, you know, leaders camp when I was 17 years old. I actually just went on there to get a badge. I didn't have anything uh, that I, um, I don't think I, I didn't know God too well, but I, I knew I was going to be a prefect and I wanted this badge, another badge. So on this camp, I really got to know God for the first time uh, and, I, and I experienced him as real. And when I was done there, I, I knew absolutely that God was real. I, I had no doubt at all. 
and I uh, almost immediately had an insatiable uh, thirst for scriptures, uh, for the scriptures, and I and I was reading. I used to really enjoy reading the scriptures, and I did, like Carl said, I I went to Bible school uh, because I wanted to get into music, uh, but also because. Um, I felt I wanted to do something for God. What do you do? You go, you go to ministry. But when I was at Bible school, I was very, I was very tense. The thing he said about the, uh, you know, the praying about which instrument I should play, that's a very good characterization of how tense I was. I was very tense, very, saw God as a very serious thing. And I used to even, uh, I wouldn't want to watch movies uh, or certainly not initiate watching movies with my other friends in the Bible school. Every now and then, people put on a movie. I'll be there, and I'll, I'll be sort of uncomfortable about it, but I will enjoy it with them. But afterwards, I always feel sort of bad. Um, and I think also early on, why I often... Hello? All right. Well done. Well, your airtime has been recharged. <laughs> um, so, so I, was, I was very tense in my first year of Bible school. Um, saw God as a little bit of a drill sergeant, really. And because we were in ministry... We are supposed to be trained about, I, I thought, we are supposed to be trained about being more serious than everybody else in church. You know, you're, you're supposed to lead in seriousness, in tenseness. And, and oftentimes, I wouldn't, I think part of the reason why, except for a, a really, I think, a, a thing of the Lord to stir a hunger for the Scripture inside of me, I think a thing that I, um, part of the reason why I ended up reading quite a lot of scripture in my quiet times was because I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts in front of God. Because if I were, then invariably my mind would wander to how unworthy of God's love I am, how bad I am performing, 
uh, at at uh, just I don't know holiness or being uh, being a, a, a Bible school student, and uh, even to the point where uh, it would happen in my first year, there was this talk about revival and people saying, "Ah, oh, we should evangelize and whatever," and I'm thinking. Dude, this is a hard sell, man. I can't, I, I don't even want, I almost sometimes don't even want this. How am I going to market this to other people? And I couldn't get away from it because I experienced God and He was real and I couldn't deny it. I couldn't walk away from it. Uh, but it was difficult for me and I thought like, how, how am I going to convince others to get on board uh, if, if, if I feel about this? But that's the thing about, that Something I do enjoy about the scripture is sort of an, it's an objective reality about God. Things that he did in other people's lives and his nature being referred to. And if you read in scripture, um, the gospel uh, is, is there. God showing the divine, the scripture shows the divine initiative. God reaching out to humans and, and through the ages, uh, th- through all of scripture, trying to uh, have a relationship with God and uh, with people. And people just not... Uh, really often not doing their parts and all other times not being able to do. We needed God to come and do a work in us and that's the beauty um, of the gospel. And I think gospel sometimes we should remember it's not just for unbelievers, it's for us. We should preach the gospel to ourselves, remind ourselves of the good news of what God has done in us and how hopeless we are. Jonathan Edwards used to say, you contributed nothing to your salvation Accept the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> and, and we should remember that. We can't do anything to attain, uh, um, to attain salvation, to deserve the pleasure of the Father. We respond to Him, but we can't, uh, we can't deserve His uh, grace. Uh, some of the things you pick up in, in, um, in Galatians is the fact that we were redeemed from, from the curse because we can't keep the law. All humans are born under a curse because we can't keep the law and and satisfy the righteous requirements of God. But Jesus redeems us from that. Jesus redeems us that we might receive the adoption as sons, be his own children. And he gave us the the spirit and we are no longer slaves, but we are his sons. That we can uh, receive the promise of the spirit. Now, as as, uh, charismatics, we often celebrate the things of the Spirit about the power to do miracles and the Shaka Baba and the shake, rattle and roll and all those things, which is great. I love the reality of that about the Spirit. But I think we, we sometimes neglect uh, just being thankful and remembering the fact that the Holy Spirit makes the things of God real to us. And, and uh, um, it is the Spirit of adoption by who we can cry out, Abba. Father, Daddy, Papa, Baba, Utata, Ntate, Ubaba, Bambo. Do something with me here. Just, just call to your mind the most intimate word you ever heard. Either you used your father with your father yourself, or you heard someone else using with their father. Just, just bring that word to mind. For me, it will be Papa, right? How do we feel about associating that name, that word with, with God? And how comfortable are we with that? And how do we, I want to live, I want to move towards a reality where I'm more and more comfortable with the 
intimacy with the Father. I think when I think now of calling God Papa, it's like it's uncomfortable for me. It's, it's a weird thought. Um, and I think even sometimes when we see other people using intimate language for God, like Daddy God or whatever, and it's even kind of, some people make jokes about that. But it is. Uh, it's, uh, I think sometimes it's something in us that makes us feel uncomfortable with, with, what, with other people's expressions of intimacy. Moving on to the, the, um, the agitators. I want to look at uh, the relationship with relationships in legalism versus when we're walking in the truth of the gospel. I just want to want us to consider something here, and that is that the the agitators were Christians, right? They were not uh, Jews coming in from outside, trying to um, trying to um, force Judaism on on the on the Christians. Sorry, my thing closed again. Oh, I should. The, uh, and I want to want us to think how how is the, what the agitators did can affect us. I want to tell you another story. In 2012, I took my first community in, uh, in Wellington. I led a community for the first time. And I really tried to love the people well and tried to lead them into more of God. Uh, but I was, I was quite harsh at times. And, and I, felt, I felt that the ends justify the means. Okay? Uh, in fact, I sometimes felt frustrated why they wouldn't respond. I mean, I'm trying to get you into more of God. Why don't you respond? I don't understand. This is, what, this, is what, this is what the elders are asking of us. This is the thing, you know. Um, and there was, this, there was this one Taniki there in particular. She was quite evasive um, uh, and having very good excuses. Uh, and I think, shame, I think in my, in my um, because I was so harsh, I think I pushed up her level of creativity a little bit. Because <laughs> I just wouldn't let her go. Uh, but there was this one time where she, something that she had given me an excuse, it's obvious, you know, it wasn't true. So I was upset that she had lied to me. Um, and one day I am uh, in this field in front of the house where I lived and I'm praying in my head. I'm just thinking about the community and praying through the people. And I, this tiny comes up and I feel a gentle nudge from God that I need to keep loving her. I need to keep loving her. And I'm thinking about this thing, this one time that she lied to me. And I keep thinking about that. I think at that point, probably my face was growing more and more tense uh, as I'm thinking about this. And the next moment, I find myself blurting out loud, but she lied to me. <laughs> and, and in that moment, I just realized how silly I, I sounded. And, and that it was really, it wasn't about God or her. It was about me in that time. And as I sort of searched my heart, I also realized that uh, um, sometimes when I thought I was lead, trying to get the people into more of God, I really just wanted a good review from the elders. Now, I, um, many of us here, most of us, are not community leaders. And I'm not trying to give you uh, a bit of an insight so that you can assess your community leader or know what's going on in them. <laughs> My heart was bad. Uh, but but what, I th what I would think would be helpful for us to consider here is, is how this applies to us. 
in our relationships, the way we consider people, the way we think about people, the way we treat them, depending on how well they perform, uh, according to our expectations. You see, the agitators were zealous for the, for the Galatians, but they were zealous for their, own, uh, for their own gain, whereas Paul wanted their best interest, the, their, the best interest, um, they had their best interest in their hearts. And Paul at one time says that he, he feels as though his efforts have been wasted uh, because they're not getting uh, anywhere. They used to uh, love the gospel, love the freedom, and now uh, they are about the works. And at one point, actually, he says that uh, they got angry at him for telling them the truth. And why did they get angry? They got angry because told, Paul told them bad news. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, good, it's a um, sort of worth note that in chapter 1, he says, if they, whoever preaches to you another gospel than the one we preach you, because self-righteousness is good news, isn't it? You can feel good about yourself. You can achieve something. You've actually done a, God a favor. But that is, uh, that is the, um, the bad news that he preached to them, to say you can't be justified in yourself, and that made them angry. In chapter 4, verse 19 to 20, you read, um, he's talking to them now. He's appealing to them. Look, I, I care about you. These guys don't care about you. Saying, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. The thing we should, we should remember is that religiosity is not Christ-likeness. And if we drive each other, if we drive ourselves towards more sort of works and, and things that look better, that's no guarantee that there's a deeper connection with Christ. Um, and the thing that also, I want us to just consider for a moment, the agitator in the mirror. Okay, Each one of us, there's an agitator in the mirror. Because the thing about legalism that legalism does is it turns us on each other, right? It makes you either, I'm, I'm better than this one, I'm not as good as that one, I feel bad about that, but it turns us on each other. And there's some verses, you can check them in the, in the notes, I'm not going to uh, get into them, but, but where Paul says, you've been called uh, to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, rather serve one another in love. And he talks about the biting and devouring. He says, be careful if you bite and devour each other, that you do not destroy each other. Uh, and at the end of chap chapter 5, going in chapter 6, he gives them an alternative to being, uh, to being legalistic. He talks about caring for each other. He says, do not be conceited. Uh, do not envy each other. He says, if anybody is caught in, a, in a, a transgression, you are spiritual. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Because... Uh, where, where, um, where there is this, uh, this meanness to each other, there's no sharing. You don't want to bring your sin to, uh, to the light, saying, oh, you know, help me with this. But he's saying rather, he says, restore them and keep a watch over yourself. And also at the end of uh, the start of chapter 6, he talks about watch yourself that you do not fall into the temptation that, you are, uh, that others are in. And also test yourself. Test your works. Let your good works be between you and God and not in comparison to others so that you can offer it as a sacrifice to God. In summary, I want to 
say just some points I want us to, to take away from this thing. First of all, we should be filled with thankfulness for the truth of the gospel. We should be thankful that we are welcomed by the Father as His children. We should be thankful for the gift of the Spirit that makes God real to us. The Spirit of adoption. Beyond that, we should also... Uh, sorry, my nose are throwing me here. We should get angry when we see the truth of the gospel being denied. Okay? When we see in ourselves, it should make us angry and we should remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel, of, of who God is, of the freedom of, the, uh, of our salvation. And when we see it in others, we should also get angry, but we should massage it into them very gently and very patiently because we can't rush people into the truth. And we, beyond that as well, I think we should not be uh, agitators, not be like these people who were... Um, Seeking to, uh, for people to have righteous behavior so that we can look good if we're trying to get people there and we can all celebrate good works together. We shouldn't be like that. Um, yeah, I think that's what I, I, what I wanted to share. Let's pray for us. We need your prayer. Okay. I just wanted to... Don't be legalist. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the truth of the gospel, Lord. Thank you for the freedom that you offer us, Father. Thank you for the, for the free welcome that you give us, Father. That we can come to you as your children. Yes, Lord. Lord, please help us, Lord, as we care for each other, as we love each other, Lord. Lord, that you would, uh, um, yeah, Lord, would you work in us, Lord. Bring us, a, bring a unity, Lord. Bring a love, Lord, that we would serve each other in love, Father. Yes, Jesus, thank you for your goodness, Lord. Amen. I'll just uh, 